Today on Your Money, Your Wealth, we look at three less common Social Security claiming situations and two more standard ones. First up, what should the strategy be when you have a much younger spouse and a minor child? If you had a government job but you only need a couple more quarters to be eligible for Social Security, does it make sense to come out of retirement or does the windfall elimination provision make that pointless? And should you get a divorce for a better Social Security benefit? Plus, should you spend 401k money before you take Social Security? And do you have to do a restricted application if you were born before 1954? Next, we get into real estate. What's a good property gifting strategy to reduce taxes? Should you pay off your primary residence? And the fellas talk about the Section 121 exclusion of gain from the sale of a principal residence when you've split the property. I'm producer Andy Last. If you've got money questions, go to yourmoneyyourwealth.com, scroll down, and click Ask Joe and Al on air. Here they are now, Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. All right, Robert <laughs> from San Diego. Joe and Al. Notice it's Joe. J-O. I know, J-O. <laughs> Robert. That's a new way to spell your name. Yeah. Well, it's better than Joel. Yeah. Um, Except that's the feminine way to spell Joe. Yes. Maybe, it's okay. Well, he's got, maybe. He says, you have feminine qualities yes. sometimes. Yeah. Joe and Al. <laughs> I am 64 and I always planned to take Social Security at age 70, and I plan on working to that age at least. However... I'm now married to a much younger lady, and we have a five-year-old daughter. My wife does not work. My question is about taking Social Security at 66 two months, allowing us to take my benefits as well as one for my wife and child, or continue to wait until 70 to take our benefits. If I start at 66, I estimate that we could collect over $200,000 prior to age 70, which could go straight to savings. If I wait till 70, my monthly benefit would be almost $1,000 more per month. We will need to rely on Social Security for a good portion of my retirement income. I would love to hear your thoughts on this decision. Thank you. Uh, all right, Robert. So he's got a five-year-old. And he's 64 years old. Yep, and his wife is a much younger lady. Much younger lady. So this this required some analysis, which I went to our planning department and hasn't had Susan Brandeis. Look at the guy with the prep here. She's really, I could do this in my head. Take it now. Take it at 66, get the full family contribution benefit, and move on. Wrong. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) What do you you say life expectancy is? Well, so first of all, I just had to do a little bit, because he didn't say his wife's age. So if his wife has a five-year-old daughter. They have a five-year-old they, they, daughter. So. Yes, they. Okay. So, and he's 64. I'm assuming his wife is at least 20 years younger. because 44? 44, which means she had a daughter at 39. I mean, yeah. that, that, was, that was what I used for purposes of this calculation. Okay. Okay. So then, um, on the so the, oh, so you're saying her so you're calculating her survivor yes, benefit. Yes, that's, that's why. Okay, that makes so sense. So if she's yeah. even younger than that, then does this continue to work? This well that you figured it, out. Well, because what he's doing is that let's say if she's 20 years younger, he's going to claim his benefit at age 70. He's got a thousand dollar higher benefit. So you calculate that he's killing poor Robert off and having his young <laughs> wife have the survivor benefit for many years to come. Right. So but she still can't claim the survivor benefit until age 60. Do you calculate that? Well, I I, I, I calculated when, let's see. When did Robert die? Well, here. 
Let me, let me back up a second and explain, and then I'll answer all those questions. So if he took it at full retirement age, 66 and two months, so he the, because the, his child is 17 or, or younger, right, they get the children's benefit and a spousal benefit, and so it's a, it's a fair amount of money. And so we calculated, like he said, about $50,000 a year. So that's a couple hundred thousand dollars a year by the time you get to age seven, or not per year total, by the time you get to age 70. So then it's like, well, why, shouldn't I do that? And the answer is, is you got to look at this in terms of break-even. And usually when we talk about break-even analysis, it's around 81, 80, 81. This break-even analysis is 87. Right, so and and that would be when she is age sixty-seven. If my if if my assumption is right that she's twenty years younger, so if she's but that's the break-even point. If she's age sixty-seven and she, and then he he passes away at at whatever age, it doesn't really matter. She gets the she gets the survivor benefit at that point. And if if she lives till we just ran this to her age eighty-five. Then uh, I mean, it, it's all gravy at that point. Past his 87, past her 67, because it's a higher benefit, and then she's receiving the, the social security's survivor. not going to be there. That's what I was going to say. Is it, not necessarily that it's not going to be there, but take the 200,000, Robert. They're gonna, they're going to have like 75 percent of their benefit or something like that. 2035, but that, we'll see. There's, they'll be reformed. They'll change. Yeah, they'll change yeah. it. No, I would say I would say wait. You're going to say wait. I say take it. I say take it. You, you say burden the hand. Yes. Right. Invest it. Right. Did you run that? No. Yep. See. Because they're going to spend it. That's why. No, that two hundred thousand goes straight to savings. Put that two hundred thousand dollars. You know, um, you know, put that in your overall retirement accounts. Let it compound. I think that's that. Ro- I the would... break even's eighty seven. Robert's eighty seven. So he's got to live past age eighty seven for him to wait till seventy is going to be better on yep. his life. But because she is so much younger, I understand. But that's his why. life's break evens age, age eighty seven. Yeah, if he was right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe she's going to leave him. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I guess you do have to consider worst case scenario. Right? But geez. Well, maybe he does have a bigger benefit. Yeah. So I would personally, I would say, because of the survivor benefit, it works better for the couple. For the couple, but for wait. Robert in his retirement. And for until his age eighty seven, it's going to be better for him to take it, take the family yeah. contribution. Yeah, if you if you just, if you just look at Robert, yeah, yes. So there you go, Robert. If you want to just kind of juice, um, you know, skid your tires a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> take Have it a little now, more right? fun when you're younger. All right, Scott writes in. He goes, "If I have a oh, first of all, Scott, a common way to start an email." Would be like, dear Joe and Al. Yes, love, love the, the show. show. And been watching, binge watching, all the oh, YouTube. Andy's. Oh, she's so great. Versus, hey, just jump right. I mean, you know, it's kind of rude. Well, plus the way he asked it. If I have a, do you have it or not? Yeah, do you have it or not? What the hell is what this mean, all about, what Scott? Do you mean if. If I have a city government pension of one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year with no social security paid. Oh, look at you. Life is tough, Scott. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good gig. Yeah, right? Um, he's got 38 Social Security quarters from prior work. Is it worth it for me to come out of retirement? Oh, he's coming out of retirement. And work the other two quarters needed for Social Security benefits in light of the windfall elimination provision. Thank you. 
Uh, Scott, if you go back to work for two quarters, I'm guessing, I don't know what your Social Security statement is, but if you have a $150,000 government pension, I'm guessing you worked for the government for a pretty long time and you had a pretty high, well-paying job. And your Social Security quarters of 38 were maybe a long time ago. And so I'm guessing it probably... You could. You, you would get something, but it wouldn't be much. Yeah, I agree. It wouldn't be much. But on the other hand, I think I think, I think think he only has to earn, what, six or $800 for a for quarter? For a quarter. Yeah, to yes. have it count. Yes, I don't so, know what the exact yeah, figure I, I is, either. but it's we close to that. It up, but something like that. Let's say 1000 bucks. Yeah. You earn 1000 bucks part-time, two quarters. You probably get something. It won't be tons, but yeah, I would probably do that. But why? why, why? Not? Because why not get a couple extra bucks? I guess. I mean, but... Would you want to go back to work no. to get an extra three dollars a month? No, but I can I can have my son pay me to. You must earn always. at least thirteen hundred and twenty dollars in a quarter in two thousand nineteen for it to count. There you go, thirteen hundred. Okay, that's the amount. I can do consulting. I could do something to make that money, right? Yeah. Um, no, sure, but I'm. But I would have to look at a Social Security statement because, um, yeah. I mean, that I, much, I, I guess he's that, probably not be well, eligible. Here, here's another way to ask the question. I, I mean, I know that there would be very little benefit, but is the benefit something greater than zero? Does does this windfall elimination provision take a person or a couple down to zero? It, um, that's a good question, and I've seen it. I don't know because I'm not sure either. So. <laughs> I guess we're not doing a very good job answering it, but I guess we're we're presuming that they'll. I mean, even though virtually, virtually all of your social security benefit would be eliminated, you might you might get some benefit. But I'm because not- what the windfall elimination provision is is that Scott works for the government. He's got he works for the city of San Diego, right? Um, or did right, right? And did not put dollars into social security. He put it into the pension, right? Right. So. With that, so he put zero dollars into the Social Security pool. All of his dollars went into the pension, and so it's like even though he qualified, he had you know thirty eight quarters. You need forty quarters to qualify for a retirement benefit. Yeah. So he's asking, all right, well maybe I go back, get a couple quarters of work. Would that pay off? Even though he understands that he's in light of this windfall elimination. So Social Security says, all right, we're not going to give you the full Social Security benefit. Because you already have this other pension, right? And so they eliminate or they they don't eliminate it entirely, but they reduce the overall benefit substantially to a, a, a certain... Um, the maximum Social Security reduction will never be greater than one half of your pension amount. If you have more than 20 years of substantial covered earnings where you paid Social Security tax, the impact of the WEP begins to diminish. At 30 years of susta- substantial covered earnings, the WEP does not apply. That's Social Security earnings. Right, but so he's, he, got he's got less than five, 10. right? He's got Well, he's got 38 quarters. So he's, he's got, got nine. He's got nine and a half. He's got nine years, right? So the WEP is going to be large. It's going to be large. I, I don't think it's 100%, though. But it so, won't be greater than one half of your pension amount. So, well, one half of his pension is 75 grand. Right. Right. So it won't be greater than $75,000. It's probably 800 bucks a month, if that. Right. Yeah. So maybe 500 bucks a month. So. Yeah. So should he work the extra two quarters or not? I wouldn't waste my time. You got a hundred fifty thousand dollar pension. I would. I'd, I'd earn thirteen hundred bucks a month and see what happens. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'd, I'd get, I'd do, I'd like, what if you had a rental property? You could pay yourself a little income from that. Well, that sounds getting a little gray there, Clopine. Or maybe your son has a rental property <laughs> and, you can, and you go and do some maintenance or you cut the grass, whatever. You can figure it out. Uh, all right. Okay. Michael from Oceanside. What happens to each of the individual Social Security benefits if they get divorced? Are either or both impacted? Um, my wife has a huge health care issue that requires her to live elsewhere, and I don't know if it behooves us to get divorced. Hmm. All right. So, no, if you get divorced, yes, I mean, here, here's what happens. So let's say I'm married, right? I have a lovely spouse, and I have a benefit, and she has a benefit. Right. So her benefit is two thousand a month. My benefit is two thousand a month. As a household, it's four thousand dollars a month. If you get divorced, right? She takes her two thousand. I take my two thousand. No biggie, right? You just lose because it's even. It's even. And by the way, we're talking about California community property law, and we're not attorneys. Thank you. <laughs> now let's say if you get divorced prior to you claiming your benefit because that maybe kind of sounds like what he's asking maybe or if it's uneven benefits one spouse gets two thousand one gets one but still let's say if they're claiming right well let's say i get a thousand she gets two thousand dollars we get divorced i still get my one thousand she gets her two thousand and then we go to court and then you look at hey well i'm making less she probably has to pay you alimony i need to make whatever right right if that's your only income so um but i think when you look at, all right, well, if I get divorced, what does this all mean? So if, if she's got a huge health benefit, I wonder if he's saying, hey, if health I get Health issue. Di- oh. Doesn't say health yeah, benefit. Issue, issue, yeah. You're the opposite of benefit. Yeah. <laughs> she's got a, she's, uh, uh, So she's got a, a health issue. I've seen this before, too. It's like, okay, well, here, I, I'm just going to divorce my ailing spouse. Right. So they can qualify for federal aid, right? So I don't know if that's what's going on. But let me just talk about divorce um, Social Security benefits. Okay. The spousal benefit is this. So if you're married, you can claim your your benefit or your spouse's um, or half of your spouse's, whichever is larger. So if, let's say, I never had a benefit, I was a stay-at-home dad, my wife's benefit is $2,000, my benefit, my spousal benefit would be $1,000, okay? Yep. Everyone get Yes. So let's say if I get a divorce, as long as I was married to that individual for 10 years, I could still claim the spousal benefit on a divorced spouse. Yes, that's true. It does not reduce my divorced spouse's benefit. Sometimes people want that to happen, or they go, oh, they're claiming on my benefit. Yeah, I can't believe that. They're not allowed to. They, they, they didn't can't ask claim me. It. Yeah, they, uh, I'm going to talk to my attorney. They can. Yes. No. It's just a factor that they're using. So your benefit's 2000 Your ex-spouse can then claim the spousal benefit as long as they were married for 10 years. So if that's the case, then, all right, well, you were married for 10 years. Now you're divorced. That spouse can still claim a spousal benefit as long as it qualifies. As as well as a survivor, right? And then a survivor benefit, yes, you can still claim the survivor benefit as well. So I don't know what really more I want to say about it. Yeah, I think that was pretty clear. I mean, there's a couple caveats there. 
because you said if 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 my if my wife's benefits at two thousand, then I can get a benefit of a thousand. But my my wife needs to be uh, claiming first of all, which in that example. But then I'd have to be at least full retirement age to get that full thousand, right? And if she's getting two thousand dollars at age seventy, she would have got a lower amount at age at full retirement age sixty six. So there's a little more math to it, but that's the principle. Whether your situation is completely stock standard or more unusual like the ones we just heard, claiming Social Security is one of the most important decisions you'll make for retirement. The Social Security Handbook walks you through everything you need to know. Who's eligible, how benefits are calculated, the difference between collecting early and late, working while taking Social Security, the rules around spousal, survivor, and divorced benefits, and the all-important taxation of your Social Security benefits. Click the link in the description of this episode in your podcast app to visit the show notes and download the Social Security Handbook, yours free from Joe and Big Al and Your Money, Your Wealth. Now, Joe's out for just a few minutes, but we're bringing in Brian Perry, CFP, CFA, Pure Financial Advisors Director of Research, to help Big Al answer a couple more Social Security questions. Let's see how he does. This next one comes from TW. I need a simple method, haha, for deciding whether to take the 401k money first, like at 62 or 65, or take Social Security first, say 65, and the 401k later at 70. It seems complicated for me to assess. I'd like a discussion of all the factors to consider. Wow. Okay. That's a pretty open-ended question, but a good one because a lot of folks are, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, the majority of people actually start taking their benefits just as soon as they can, which is age 62. And that's not necessarily the, the right answer because the way it works currently is full retirement age is age 66. And let's just say at that age, you get $2,000 a month in benefits. And so if you take it at 62, it's a 25% discount. So it's $1,500. If you wait till age 70, then it's a 32 uh, increase. In, uh, increase. So it would be 2,650, 60, 70, something like that. <laughs> I should have done the math 26, before. 2670 or so. Yeah, yeah. before I, I, yeah. Anyway, so then, so it's really a difference between, we'll call it 2,600 plus to 1500, right? And so that's that's always a discussion as to when when you should take it and what you, how you should consider it. So a couple things and you can add it as we go Brian is first of all if you need the money for social security take it. I mean that's that's the that's the easiest uh, thing to answer. If you can postpone retiring so you still have income then that helps you because your social security will be benefit will be higher. Plus, you have another year or two or whatever to save, which increases to your portfolio, and you're not drawing money out of your portfolio. So it's actually really useful to work an extra year or two or three or four. It makes a pretty big difference in your retirement. So so that's first off. But uh, what about the what what about the computation? I guess between drawing from your 401k versus social security. Yeah, well, I mean, Social Security, especially from 66 until 70, that's an 8% growth rate. Um, that's tough to get, right, in financial markets. I mean, you may be able to get it, but it doesn't come with a government guarantee. Right. And so the idea of, I don't know, can you invest your portfolio and get a government guaranteed 8%? And, ta- and Social Security has you know a little bit of tax benefit, too, there, right? It's not taxed in the state of California. Um, the maximum amount of it subject to taxation at the federal level is 85%. So that's tough to match in a portfolio. And so like you said, if you can wait for Social Security, a lot of times that makes sense. Um, but a lot of times it's a year-by-year decision. So you don't have to decide, hey, I'm going to wait till 70 and lock it in stone. You can see what's going on. Uh, if your portfolio falls in value, if we're in a bear market, 
Well, maybe at that point you turn on Social Security at 67 and a half or something like that if you need to. Yeah, so then, then you don't have to draw from your portfolio when it's down. So that okay. can be a way to go. And I think when you just do the straight math, if you can, the longer you can wait, the, if you can pull money from your 401k or your non-retirement accounts and let your Social Security grow, that's usually a, a good thing to do. Although I will say there are break-even points if you're just looking at this in terms of raw numbers. And the break-even point is usually somewhere around 80 years of age. So that would be another consideration is if you believe you have impaired life expectancy, you might want to draw those benefits earlier, particularly if you're single. Now, if you're, if you're married, it, it's, it's a little bit different because it, it, you, you actually want to look at the life expectancy of both of you, the two of you. Like, let's say I've got impaired life expectancy, but my wife is going to live forever. I might want to wait on my benefit so that when I pass, she would get a higher benefit with the survivor benefit. So you got to look at both ages. When you're single, you might look more just towards your own. Yeah, you know, and, and that's an important consideration, right, is we're assuming that somebody's going to live a full life, but if, if you're going to not live as long, you want to maximize your benefits. Um, the other thing is you could get creative with it, too. There, it is possible to take Social Security and then freeze the benefit and let it continue to grow again. So, I mean, I don't know, in a, just to imagine a scenario where stocks are down sharply. It's 2008 or something like that. You don't want to draw your portfolio, so you start Social Security, and now a few years later your portfolio is recovered, Maybe you freeze Social Security, let it continue to grow, and then draw down your portfolio at that point. So there, there's quite a bit of flexibility. There's quite a so, bit of flexibility. But I, I would say the math generally works out better to take from your 401k and delay your Social Security, mm-hmm. but, but there are a, a lot of other factors to consider. Agreed. And, you know, unfortunately, it would be nice if there was, um, you know, a simple way to, to kind of figure this out and discuss all the factors in a simple way. But it's just not like that, right? I mean, retirement planning is not simple and straightforward. A lot of times there's a lot of variables. Well, and Al mentioned the fact that he's, you know, if he has a shortened lifespan and his wife is going to live forever, I mean, yeah. that changes things significantly. It does. It does. <laughs> She's, and if, if my benefit's higher, then I need to hang on as long as I can. Well, and if she's going to live forever, invest all in stocks because at that point she's yeah, an right. endowment. I, well, that's right. That's exactly right. This one is from Bob from Delaware. He says, I have a question regarding the restricted application Social Security strategy, which appeared January of 2019. My wife was born in 1953. I was born in 1950 and began collecting at age 66. My wife will turn 66 in November and would like to claim a spousal benefit and a restricted application to boost her benefit. Social Security informed us a surviving spouse will only be eligible for the primary benefit and not the boosted benefit claimed at 70. Can you offer any clarification? You seem to indicate the surviving spouse would receive the higher benefit. Uh, good question. We have a couple different things going on. There's a spousal benefit and there's a survivor benefit, and they're and they're different rules. And the spousal benefit, I, I guess, big picture that the big picture rule is that you can either take your own benefit or you can take half of your spouse's full retirement benefit, which right now is age 66, whichever is higher. But there's these deeming rules, and it gets super complicated. Talk about mud, clear as mud. (laughs) I don't really want to get into that right now, because that's actually not even relevant to this question, because Bob's spouse was born in 1953, which is before 1954, which is when this date changed. So the answer is that, Bob, your wife uh, can, at age 66, go ahead and claim the spousal benefit, which is half of your benefit at age 66. 
and then continue to have her benefit grow till age 70 and then switch to that benefit, uh, if that's a higher benefit, obviously, at that point. That's still available if in, in a couple cases. One is if the person uh, doing uh, that getting the spousal benefit was born before 1954, and if your uh, other spouse is already collecting benefits. Those two things have to be going on, which is true in this case. Yep. So that, that yeah, that can work pretty well. But, uh, Brian, what do you think about her question, or Bob's question, I should say, about Social Security informed us a surviving spouse would only be eligible for the primary benefit, not boosted benefit claimed at 70? Um, well, you know, I'm going to be honest. I can't believe that with you in the room, you're asking me Social Security well, just, questions. <laughs> just, trying, just, trying, just trying to draw you in. No. <laughs> See if you know the answer. <laughs> See if I need this to coach you. This is a you. test. <laughs> Hot seat, Brian Perry. <laughs> um, what was the question again? <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Um, the question is, uh, survive, so surviving spouse. So, so there's, we talked about a spousal benefit, which, by the way, that's what happens when your spouse is alive. But when your spouse passes away, and now it's a survivor benefit. Do you get the survivor benefit at age 66 or 70, or how does that work? You know, it depends. So if your spouse is not yet um, 60 when they pass, or not yet up to um, Social Security eligibility when they pass, you can, at age 60, claim your spouse's survivor benefit. Um, it will be reduced based on um, a reduction for your not being full retirement age, but you can get it at that point. If your spouse passes away after Social Security eligibility, you get their award as of the age they were when they either A, took Social Security, or B, when they died. Um, and that's one of the reasons that with a lot of couples, if one of the spouses has a much higher Social Security award, maybe they worked more outside of the home or made more money, um, a lot of times the longer that they wait to take Social Security, the better off, because you can then get a higher award. So in those instances, waiting till 70 a lot of times can make a whole heck of a lot of sense for the higher earning spouse. Yeah, and I might add one thing. In, in terms of the, the rule of, of receiving the, the benefit, so at age 66, that's the full retirement age. That's, that's really like if, if your spouse dies before that age, then when you start collecting at age 60, it's based upon your spouse's full retirement age, but there's a, there's a discounted amount because you're collecting early. But in terms of the benefit, like, like for example, I think Bob is essentially asking if, if his wife gets her benefit at age 70, then if she passes away, does he get that benefit or, or full retirement age for her? And the answer is she get, he gets the 70-year-old benefit. And then there's all kinds of different rules. What if the, what if the spouse passes between 66 and 70? Then it, it's, it's what they would, and, they, and they're not receiving benefits. It's what they would have received on that day had they started, that they passed away. So, that, boy, there's a lot to Social Security. It really is clear as mud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Click the link in the description of today's episode in your podcast app or visit the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to read the transcript of this show. Listen to our previous discussions about Social Security benefits with the goddess of Social Security, Mary Beth Franklin, and to access other free Social Security resources like six critical Social Security facts that retirees must know and Social Security changes in 2019. Up next, three questions about real estate and taxes. Now, we are getting a lot of questions about taxes as we approach the end of the year. So I've included a link to the 2019 tax planning guide in the show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com as well. While you're there, click Ask Joe and Al on air to send in your money questions, compliments, complaints, or stories. And Joe and Big Al will talk about you right here on YMYW. We have Greg calling in or writing in from uh, Temecula. A little wine country here. Yeah. 
Hi guys, I'm living in beautiful Temecula, California. Okay. My mother-in-law, um, okay, she has $1.7 million in retirement. Her RMD is about $70,000 a year. She collects rents of $12,000 a month uh, from a business property in a B trust. She also takes a director's fee of about forty k uh, a year from her other businesses and another $12,000 a year from Social Security. She hates paying all the taxes and doesn't need or want all this money. Great problem to have. I'm saying that right. Uh, is there a way she can give her son and daughter a third of the property each now so all three can make about $4,000 a month off it, not getting um, screwing up uh, gift law? She already uh, maxes out gifting for her kids and grandkids. Thanks. Well, um, we're missing some info well, here, a little yeah. bit. Yeah, well, let me try to dissect. So she can she give her son and daughter a third each? So that's only two-thirds. So I guess she would keep a third. Keep a third. I guess that's what yeah. I get. Yeah, and then they that. all split 4,000 yeah. because it's 12. Well, right off the bat, there's a potential problem because it's in, it's in the B-Trust. Yeah, it's, it's irrevocable. Yeah, irrevocable. It's owned by the B-Trust. Now, if the son and daughter are the beneficiaries, you might be able to go to an attorney if that's what you really want to do and distribute some early. But but it's see, she doesn't really technically own, own the B trust. She doesn't. Yeah, she's yeah. got income right rights to but, the B trust. Wait, I, wait, wait. What, what is a B trust? Okay, so like if someone passes away, and if their estate is to a certain level. Um, and s- some people, people did this that they shouldn't have done, is that they split the the the, the trust up into two trusts, a trust, a and, trust and B trust. trust. Okay. A trust would be the living trust. B trust would be the decedent. Oh, okay. Okay. So the decedent trust. So let's say the annual exclusion for estate tax to make this really simple was five million bucks. We had a ten million dollar estate. So one spouse dies. One five million goes in the decedent trust. The other five million dollars goes in the survivor trust. Yeah. And the reason for that is that because let's say I died, I wanted to protect my half of the wealth of the family. So that has it's irrevocable. My wife can have income to it, right? But those beneficiaries are going to let's say our kids. She gets remarried, right? And then that remarriage, they have kids. They don't. They can't touch the B trust. That B trust is going to my beneficiaries, yeah. right? So it's it's totally irrevocable. Um, so there's properties in the B trust and it's kicking out all this income. And he's like, well, Hey, can we, she doesn't want the income. She could disclaim the income though to the kids. I don't think so. I think that's only, and we're not attorneys. Right. Right. So caveat, please consult (laughs) an estate planning attorney. Please disregard everything we're about to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think the disclaiming part happens upon, on, on, uh, on, at the at the trust or the will level, but if she's getting income from the B trust, I mean, I mean, she I, can't disclaim that income. I don't think so because she she would be she would be the income beneficiary. Now she could leave the income in the B trust, and then the B trust pays taxes on it at higher tax rates. Right, could do that. That doesn't make sense. Not really. I I guess I have seen a case. At least I I've heard of a case where there was one beneficiary in the B trust and. The, the beneficiary and the the spouse, the surviving spouse, wanted the asset to go to the beneficiary. I think, I don't know if you have to, have to go to court or you have to go to something to try to break the trust, but if it's the same, same, 
But in, in many cases, it's not the same beneficiaries, and you're kind of stuck. You're stuck with how it was set up because it's irrevocable. So in other words, your mother-in-law doesn't really have control over And the this. reason for that, it avoids a state tax right. upon her passing. That, that's right. And, and, now, and there's, there's a reason why the B-Trust exists, because that $5 million could grow to $20 million, and then when she dies— Right, that twenty million then goes to the heirs, a state tax free. That's right. But then there's going to be capital gains on whatever the growth is within that asset. That, that's exactly right. There's reasons to do it for for estate taxes. There's also reasons if it's a blended family and you each have different kids to set up A B trust so that you even if you pass away, you know that your heirs are going to get at least half of the assets, right? Because the other part, the A trust, is still. Uh, it's a revocable trust that can be changed. So if the property's in the A-Trust or there's other properties in the A-Trust or things like that that she's getting, then she has full control. She's the trustee of that, right? So um, yeah, she can and, – and it says that I guess she's already maxing out the gifting, right? So, yeah. But what's the, what's the estate? You know what I mean? She could gift a lot more if the estate is under, let's say, you know, ten million bucks. Yeah, right. Yeah, and people don't realize that if you give more than the fifteen thousand, you just have to file a gift tax return, and it reduces your future exclusion, which is like eleven million dollars plus per person. Yeah. So I mean, doesn't matter. Let's say the estate's worth five million bucks. She could give all of it. You know, there's no 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 state. Or there's no gift tax. Um, but not so, not in the B trust. Not in the B trust. The B trust is irrevocable. Uh, hope that helps, Greg. I got Matt from Carlsbad. He writes in. I am retiring from my first career next year with a pension. I'm considering paying off my home free and clear, early, and beginning a second career. I'll be considered cash poor for about a year, but would have saved considerable considerable amount of interest um, in what owned my home. Would this be a good move? Thank you. Um, I'm guessing Matt is in the United States Navy, and he is retiring from service, and he's getting a pension, and he's starting a second career, and he's probably 40-some-odd years of age. Wow. Yeah, I would. I'm guessing. You're like the Sherlock Holmes of finance. I'm guessing I, I would. I would agree with that. Carlsbad is right near Camp Pendleton. That would not be Navy, but well, that would that would be the Marines. Okay, well, so I'm guessing he's a Marine. <laughs> okay, well, same know. same thing though. Got it. So, but at any rate, um, yeah, that's typically those that retire young. When they say second career, yeah. and I'm getting a pension, right? You know, you usually don't get a pension and start a second career. Well, you could. You I could. mean, it could be law enforcement. Yeah, I don't know, Matt. I'm just could, could be spitballing here. It could be, but what do you think? Good idea? Bad idea? I like the idea. I don't. I don't care. <laughs> oh, I like it when you guys don't agree. <laughs> I I wouldn't do it because, well, of course, we don't have enough details I mean, to start with. <laughs> so based upon what little we know, I don't like the idea of spending down all your capital to not have a mortgage. What if something goes wrong? What if you don't find he's that got a second pension. career? He's got a pension. Yeah, but he's, he's got he's, income, guaranteed. He's going to be cash poor. What if something happens? What if what if he wrecks his car? What if he has a some kind of medical need? What what if he? He's a Navy SEAL. <laughs> what what if, what if he wants to go on a trip? What if, what if he's got a, a son or daughter? Well, just going keep into enough college? in cash. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's will be a safety net. Yeah. So that's probably a, that's probably a good way to say it is is figure out what your short term cash needs, have an emergency fund as well, and then if you still have money extra, then yeah, by all means. Yeah, I don't know how old Matt is. I don't know what his pension is. I don't know what his income is. I don't know what other assets that Matt has. I don't know anything about Matt. Just knowing that 
he's going to retire from his first career with a pension. Sure. Should he pay off his mortgage? You know, I think emotionally speaking, everyone wants to be debt free. Yeah. Right? True. But is it financially wise? Not necessarily. Interest rates are at all time lows. He's probably got a pretty low interest rate on his house. You know, um, could be three or four percent. I don't know the likelihood if we see those low rates. We could, but, you know, so I don't know. It, if it makes you feel better, man, and you're young enough to pay it off and then you can save a bunch of money and then you don't have a mortgage, you own your home. I like the idea, yeah, but, but you have to save the hell out of the you know your your paycheck coming in because now you're double dipping, right? You got the pension and then you're going to have an income. So your pension, 100 percent of that, save it. Yeah. So the answer it, to me, it depends on whether your your short term needs and emergency needs are met. You're a big like emergency fund guy. I am. Lately. That's important stuff, Joe. Yeah. I Do am. you have so, an emergency so, fund? So boring. I am big on it's that. Boring. <laughs> I tell sure. you, it would be real exciting if you have an emergency. Make sure that you have an emergency. And you don't have fund. one. Yeah, I used to be a big proponent of, of being invested at all times. And then the Great Recession hit. And then I changed my mind. Because <laughs> you got your. You got burned, huh? You got burned a yeah, little bit you, on my real yes, estate. Yes, you learned. Joe wants to live dangerously. You, you, no, I have a cash reserve. Of course I do. Okay. Um, $1,000. <laughs> yeah. Like no. Dave Ramsey recommends. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's um, I don't know. It's at least twelve it's months in, um, <laughs> of, of, of um, twelve expenses, months expenses. Twelve months expenses. Yeah. Oh well, that's what twelve thousand. <laughs> uh, Dennis from Coronado, California. Dennis, Dennis, Dennis. Yeah, we know you, Dennis. Yes, we do know you, Denny. Andy, I have another tax question for YMYW. Assuming Section 121, uh, wow, 120 wine? What? 121? 121, uh, duration and ownership requirements are met. Sounds like a CPA wrote that. Yes, exactly. Can a <laughs> homeowner exclude a portion of the gain on the sale of a lot split off from the parcel the principal residence is on? <laughs> Dennis. Dude, Dennis, seriously, you're doing like your extended return right now. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. What do uh, I do? Well, I got to call Big what Al. What do I do? Well, Dennis, first of all, you're a CPA <laughs> who used to work for me. Didn't I teach you how to do tax research? <laughs> look yes. At, look at he's up. doing it right now. Yes, he's, he's doing it right now. This is how he does it. <laughs> but anyway. Because you wrote YMYW, I will answer your question. I have no choice. <laughs> so um, the, here is the answer. And according to Stephen Fishman, an attorney, because <laughs> I don't know the answer. So, but anyway, he's, this seems to be pretty much on point. So what he, what he said is, uh, yes, you can, you can split your lot. And you can ac- so let's let's back this up yeah, for okay. the for our listeners. All right, I suppose we should translate it. <laughs> yes, okay. So assuming section one twenty one duration and ownership requirements are met, so that's a primary residence. So you got to live in your house two out of the last five years and, and own it. And two own of, it. Yeah, two out of the last five years. So it, that's that's what that we translated <laughs> half of it so far. So with that, you can exclude up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars of gain. If you are single, $500,000 if you are married. Okay? So now the question goes on. Can a homeowner exclude a portion of the gain on the sale of a lot split off 
from the parcel the principal residence is on. <laughs> so, so is he saying if he's got like a one acre lot and the house is on it, can he split it in half and? Yeah, he's he's saying he probably did split it in half, but now he's trying to figure out, and he probably and he sold got, a lot, and he got out of it, and he and still and he still has the home, right? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and he's saying, "Can I can I get part of the exclusion here?" Yes. So, uh, so in that example, the answer is no, unless you sell your home within the same two out of five year period. And let Dennis, let me tell you what the rules are. So he, here's where you can do it. So, and this is this is an example written by this attorney, which I assume is right. <laughs> I, I don't know that for sure. But at any rate, it, it says uh, if you own a vacant lot surrounding your home, which would be a lot split that you sell separately from the home itself, it can qualify for the exclusion. Uh, if you answer yes to all of these things. The vacant land is adjacent to the land containing your home, which probably it is. The sale occurs within two years before or two years after the date of the sale of your residence. So here's where, if you're gonna sell your residence, yeah, this works. If you're not gonna sell your residence, forget about it. The third thing is you own and use your your vacant land as part of your main home. And three is the use of vacant land satisfies the two-year ownership and use uh, rule. So basically what it, what they're saying is, and even if you have like two separate lots, you didn't even do the split yourself. You just bought your home and then you bought another lot, vacant lot next door that's adjacent to it. Yeah, if you sell them both within a certain period of time, you can apply that exclusion to both of them. But if you sell just one, like the lot, then no, you'd have to sell the home itself. Hopefully that helps, Dennis. <clears throat> yeah, and hopefully, um, actually, more importantly, hopefully Stephen Fishman, attorney at law, <laughs> is right. <laughs> is right on the article that I found because this kind of stuff, I will, I will say, is very hard Gray. to find in the tax code. Yeah, it's gray. Is all get on. That's yeah. why he contacts you because he knows that you are the man. But I just I typed in lot split section one twenty one exclusion. It's the first thing that came up. <laughs> Dennis, you can do that. I know you can. Uh, okay, so what if a house were to be built on the split off lot and sold? So Dennis, he was talking about a Section 121 exclusion, right? So that means that if you lived in your house two out of the last five years, you can exclude $250,000 of gain if you're single, $500,000 if you're married. And he was curious, can a homeowner exclude a portion of the gain on a sale of a lot split from a parcel? So he's got a he's trying to do some um, game creative yeah. creative tax strategy here. Yeah, he's trying to get the exclusion on both the both parcel lots, and, yes. parcel A and B after mm-hmm. the split. We answered that question by saying if the lots were contiguous, then the answer would appear to be yes, as long as you'd lived and owned two out of the last five years after you've sold. Contiguous. Now, yeah. That's you awesome. like that word? Yeah. The first time I've ever heard it. Touching. You want me to dumb it down a little bit? You can put one foot in one lot, one foot in the other. That's contiguous. Thank you. Does that work? Yes, that works out perfectly. It's like contiguous. What yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know, four corners. Yes, you ever God. done that? You can be you in put, four states at one yes. time. Yeah, four yeah. states at one awesome. time. Yeah. Two, two hands and two feet. Yep. And, and you take your picture and everyone looks like a tarantula. <laughs> <laughs> that picture. 
It's that. Okay. That's Jason. Thank you. Thank so, you. Contiguous. So, okay, Dennis. Um, so, <laughs> so what if a house so, were so to now, be built on So now, the other... now you subdivide it first, and I told you it was contiguous, <laughs> so you could do it. Now what if you build a home on that, on that lot and sell it? So I, I guess theoretically, uh, you could then take a partial exclusion for the part of the property allocated towards the lot. I think so. But you know what? This is now getting, you probably want some real honest to goodness tax research as opposed to two, Ask. two yahoos on their <laughs> <Yes>. radio. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, you're getting into some deep legal stuff here, Dennis. Here, you know what? I'm just going to write into Big Al. By the way, and he can he, say big words. He uh, he used to work for me. Yes, I know. Apparently, I didn't train him well <laughs> enough to do his own research. <laughs> All right, thank you, Andy. Great job, Al. I'm Joe. We'll see you next week. Show's got your money well. Listener gifts and letters, crying at movies and winery concerts are in the derails at the end of this episode if you're into that sort of thing. Click Ask Joe and Al on air at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to send in your questions, comments, complaints, compliments, and stories. And the fellas will do their best to give you answers that are clearer than mud. And who knows, you could kick off a giant derail too. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Sit down for a free two-meeting financial assessment with a certified financial planner from Pure, either in person or via a web meeting simply by clicking the free assessment button at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. My name is Joe Anderson. I am a certified financial planner. Why are you reading this? <laughs> I'm not. I just heard a podcast that that's exactly how it sounded. Ah. Oh, boy. Those are rough when you hear stuff like oh that. Oh, my God. It's like, come on. <laughs> Let's get some personality. Jeez. Just talk. Right. Just be normal. Even though if you... I, but some people probably talk what? like that. Come on. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Hello, Alan. Hey, we got a couple people up here that are a little bit monotone. Yeah, I suppose we do. Uh, we got Michael from Oceanside. He writes in this week. What was the guy from Oceanside that would call into our radio show every week? John, I think. No, that was, that was John Coronado. from Coronado. Coronado. But who was the guy from? I know who you mean. Remember? I don't remember his name there. And then, God, we had Bondman fill on, and he was talking about, like, inverted yield curve. Oh, was that the guy? You and I were Was that the it? guy that gave us the gifts? I oh, know that's someone else. That's the guy that came, remember the guy that came in the office and kept giving us gifts? Oh, no, that's... Um, <laughs> that's another guy. Yeah, that's my buddy. <laughs> Got some good stuff, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, strangest stuff in the world. Yeah. He would mail me articles. Yeah. Yeah, I think you ought to use this on the radio. Yep. It was something like, written some 25 art. years ago. Yeah, Slapshot Joe and Big Al. <laughs> he had an interesting sense of humor. Yeah, good guy. Yeah. Anyway, Michael from Oceanside. What happens to each... Uh, what about um, that sweet lady... <laughs> That sent us the. Um, we should read her letter. We should. You know what? I keep. Bring, I'll bring that next week. Yeah, she she dug she, up. She gave us some old mason jars. Some mason jars, and she said that this was like a really big treasure for her, and she was giving it to us because of the treasure that we provided her of giving advice and making um, her financial. And I, I was. I, we basically were so overwhelmed. We. We sort of yes. didn't know how to react. But, we, yeah, right, we you're did. right. We need to read that letter yes. next next week. Oh. I got a letter one time from clients of ours. 
they were like, you know, they were watching that they were big fans of our TV show. They were watching the TV show. And they're like, yeah, well, the tube went out in our TV. So we we listened to it every <laughs> every Sunday morning. Wow. Oh, boy. It's that good. Huh? It's that good. You can yeah. just sit right next to the TV, TV. and listen. What are you watching, Dad? <laughs> um, watching your money, your wealth, son. I can't see anything. Oh, uh, you don't need to see it. You just got to listen. It's, it's good. <laughs> Billy! Billy, write this down. Oh, my gosh. That was a classic. <laughs> I, I think I'm still on Billy's email list. <laughs> oh, boy. So You don't know what we're talking about. I have no idea. No, we have this. I'm still thinking about the mason jars and wondering if you're going to use them to make, like, make moonshine or which plan. No, is. because they were dug out of an old cellar and they're, ah, okay. they're yeah. a little rusty. They're little gotcha. Antiques. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, good for antiques. Yeah, I mean, good, good for you. Got it, okay. He, he, he has them in his office. They're yeah, they're, right. they're on my shelf. Nice. I'll come back. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, you been to Temecula lately, bud? Uh, yes, I went to a, a concert there. I think I want to say in May mm. at the Thornton Winery. You went to a concert there. Yes. Let me guess. It was probably something that I would not attend. Uh, probably not. It, it was. was uh, it was like, a. Uh, it was acoustic little James Taylor cover band. It was the Elton John cover band. <laughs> He's oh, pretty good. Well, I, might, I might enjoy that. You might enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I love Elton John actually. Yeah. Have you seen Rocket Man? I have. Yeah. It's pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. 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 Andy? Andy? I have not seen it. You haven't. You're no. a big music person. I am. I, apparently, you don't like Elton John. I actually. <laughs> have you seen that commercial for the movie Rocket Man? No. It's it, the commercial made me cry, but I have not seen the movie. Oh. It's uh. Yeah, I actually kind of teared up myself. There you go. That's very. I, I always tear up. You know, I'm sensitive. You're crying now. I, yeah, I am. I, I'm it, the same every, way. Every, every show that we I do. cry at everything. We watched the Lorax last weekend, and I'm bawling. What the hell is the Lorax? It's Dr. Seuss. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Dr. Seuss story about the death of the trees. Oh. Yeah, and I'm just. Oh, You're yeah. crying. Uh, it, yeah, just thinking about it now makes me a little even, upset. Even uh, even my kids. They give me grief over it. Although my oldest son, Rob, he goes, gosh, I wish I could get into it as much as you do, Dad. I'm just sitting there bawling. <laughs> Someone lost their bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen Saw? Oh. Saw, no. Yeah, that cry. I have not seen it in, yeah, movies guy, that I saw when, when I was when like 10 his, still when, give me nightmares. So When he cut his leg off. Oh, yeah, stop. I, I felt bad for the guy. Stop. I had to cry. <laughs> Cried over that one. Yeah, I right. did. Very um, cool. Okay, all right. all right, let's get back to Greg from Temecula. All right. Hopefully, Greg, you were at that concert and saw the gal. Crying over the rock band. Crying over the um, Elton John cover band. Next time you see that what, what winery, you might see Big Elton Al. Winery. Thornton Winery. Especially yeah. if they have James Taylor yeah, cover band. Yeah, if they have James band. Taylor cover band. Or James Taylor. Or James Taylor himself. Beach Boy cover band. They have a yeah, because I, I actually have seen the Beach Boys recently. They, they shouldn't be in concert anymore. <laughs> All right. 